Woohoo, guys and girls. We're live on Facebook. Those that are watching live right now, just going to wait for this audience to build up. In addition to that, many of you watch this on your Tuesday morning as part of the Monday night rant across Australia and New Zealand. My friends, how pumped am I today? Because the guy on the other side of the screen is a legend. Taylor Breton, man, what a story. What a story. I actually call this guy the Josh Tesselin stunt double, right? <laughs> That's what I call him, the Josh Tesselin stunt double. Many Like everyone knows Josh, but you're all about to find out who Taylor is. And Taylor, I clearly remember when you're at your old job and uh, you're in the process of resigning. You yes. know, it was... Uh, it was uh, how, how long ago was it, Taylor? Uh, it was August in 2020. August 2020. Yeah. So we're you know we're talking uh, one and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been with uh, with Josh, um, Taylor. I'd love you. You know, I, I'd love you to tell me a little bit. I mean, I know I know a little bit about yourself. You're yeah. you're a guy that you've said to me you want to be known as not being a dickhead in real estate, right? <laughs> That's what your 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 mission 100%. Um, but, man, I'll, just tell us a little bit about yourself for the people that don't know Taylor. Yeah. Um, well, Tom, firstly, thanks for having me on. Um, I've been in the industry seven years now. I started seven years ago in property management after, you know, getting pushed into it by my lovely now wife. Uh, started off in Quakers Hill at a local office doing property management, soon progressed there to, uh, you know, a sales assistant with another established agent in the area. Uh, within that business, I then grew uh, over three years. Um, you know, my first year in sales did 180 and then 330 and then 600 was my last calendar year where I was before I joined with Josh. Uh, and yeah, now I went from 40 sales with them to last year, 100 sales um, unconditionally sold, which I'm very proud of as the office I'm sure is aware. Um, and yeah, that, that's pretty much me up to date. So Taylor hits a century. He hits 100 sales. And um, on the numbers that I'm looking at, that equated to just over or just under 1.7 in gross commission, right? Just under 1.7. Love to know. Um, Man, you married? Yeah, married. And we've got our first baby coming in June. Boy or girl? Uh, it's a baby boy. Baby boy. Okay. Mate, at the moment, um, 100 deals a year, 1.6, 1.7 million in GCI. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the team look like? What's your current team? Yeah, so when I first started with Josh, um, I started off with one PA, grew to a second PA, uh, purely you know prospecting and stuff like that. Uh, in February this year, I actually transitioned that model as one of my team members, Luke, uh, became his own agent. So now I've got an EA, Amanda, who's an absolute weapon. Uh, and I've also got Nathan Beasley, who's my right-hand man, as my sales associate. Okay. The thing I like about you is when I come over to your office for training, you know, the times we have conversations, it's it's not just real estate listing and selling. You're curious about property. You're mm-hmm. curious about financial security. You're, you're curious about, hey, it's not just what I'm making in the business, what am I doing with money that I'm making in the business? You've got a you've got an interest in um, in property. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, you know, I think you've just started small property developments. Yeah. So I think when I was an associate, I worked for an agent that did a lot in development. So I had a good understanding of development, how to cut properties up and sell them off and stuff like that. Um, currently underway on a small project um, locally where just simple subdividing, selling off separately, improving the value of the main house. And um, yeah, definitely firm believer in financial security uh, through property. And for me, a big part of that, uh, as a team says, I'm very good with my spreadsheets. I always drill them on not wasting their money and and not trying to, you know, be all show. It's, you've got to have the financial backing to make smart decisions. And guess what? He's a smart man because he knows that driving a Mazda CX-5 SUV, you're still driving it? Still driving it. I'm about to transition, but still driving it. Okay. Right. So um, earn the right. Earn the right to have a nice car, right? Yeah. Earn the right to have a nice car. Um, and, uh, man, I'm just, like, I want to ask you, Mate, this market that you work, mm -hmm. incredible change I've noticed in your market where it was just fear of missing out last year and mm -hmm. now it seems to be not fear of missing out, it's fear of am I paying too much, fear of overpaying. The urgency's changed a lot in your market. Um, describe your market at the moment like, you know, biodynamics. Yeah, so I guess in my market, like Stanhope Gardens is my sort of focus area, but uh, obviously, as an office, we do a lot in the surrounding areas. But I think overall, it's a lot of young families coming in, um, you know, heavily, you know, Indian populated demographic in particular. Um, and yeah, I think at the moment, it's not that the market's being flooded, but people are taking that additional time to make a decision. Obviously, we try and put that, you know, that, that pressure on the buyer to make a decision to help them come to a conclusion. And we try to help the owners obviously make a transition. But at the moment, I've noticed where, yeah, buyers, they're not as quick to make a decision on the Saturday like they were. We're working it over a few days now or even a week or two with the same buyers because the deals aren't necessarily, you know, falling into our lap like they were. We're just having to work a little bit harder to get the deal done. Uh, prices are still solid. Obviously, if it's a beautiful property, it's still going to get a great price. The ones that I'm seeing being affected at the moment are the ones that, you know, I have a few at the moment where they've been tenanted for 10, 15 years. We all know what those properties look like. They are a little bit harder to move. Taylor, man, have you got any non-negotiable rituals or or uh, processes or habits in, in your life or business that you want to share with us? Yeah, um, I think a big thing for me coming across with Josh, uh, one thing that I've really adopted is the lead up into an appointment. So if it's a price update, if it's an appraisal, um, I don't just sort of get off the phone, I book it. And then I just, the next communication is I rock up, I do the appointment. For me, it's been about warming up the owner. Uh, a big part of that, you know, I try to avoid booking an appointment for the same day. I try to get me two, three days, sometimes a little bit more. I've got to suss it out. Like you don't want to miss out because somebody else has gone out there straight away. But, um, you know, if it's somebody who's selling, I want to warm them up before I get there. I want them to know what I'm about and what I'm doing, my recent reviews. Um, I, want to, I want them to know what my owners have been saying and the great results that I've been having. Um, if it's in an area that I don't do a lot, in that case, I leverage off the office really heavily because as an office, we sold over 500 properties last year, um, you know, and we're really strong in our sort of Blacktown Council and a little bit in the Hills Council. So that's a big thing for me, just making sure before I get in the door, they know who I am, they know how capable I am, they know what I've been doing. And then when I get there, end of the day, I've always been a relationship guy uh, and building rapport has been probably one of my biggest strong suits. And um, I probably didn't focus enough on the business side of things. Now, business before I get in, when I'm there, it's business, but it's also personable. So that's probably one of the biggest non-negotiables. So Just, Taylor, yeah. ex explain, explain to me 
How do you warm someone up and prime them up? Like, what are the things that you do? Yeah. So, look, it could be on the phone. Sometimes people, you can have a flowing conversation. Other times it's like pulling blood from stone, which is a little bit difficult. Had one today, um, reached out to me uh, through the office. Um, you know, they're looking to sell their property and took the call, had a bit of a chat. You know, hey, so what are the plans? Oh, well, look, I just want you to come out, Taylor, and, you know, just see the place. Let us know what's worth and we'll make a call from there. Okay. And let's say I've got your dream price. What are you going to be doing after that? Oh, look, we'll, we'll discuss it when you come and see me. Sometimes you get ones that are really closed off. I follow that up just with a quick text. Hey, thanks for reaching out. Look forward to seeing you, you know, Wednesday at three o'clock. Here's a link to my recent reviews. Look forward to seeing you then. Tonight, they're going to get a message in about probably 25 minutes saying, hey, just got this review from one of my owners. Look forward to seeing you Wednesday. Uh, and then tomorrow, same sort of thing. They'll get something probably between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. So when they're on the way to work uh, and they're going to be seeing my face, they're going to be seeing some kind words or they're going to be seeing a result which is relevant for them. So that, that's how I typically, that sort of stuff. Okay. So what you're saying is the more touch points and the more frequency and the more they get a feel of you, when you go to the listing, you feel like there's a different feel to it than going there without those contact points. I think I used to go in and rely on the fact that I had the gift of the gab and that I was able to just somehow work with people. Whereas my, my growth in my business, it's a lot of things, but one of the big things is not just going in assuming, okay, I'm going to get along with them. They're going to like me as a person and I'm going to sell their house. It's a big asset. Um, I'm not selling a barbecue. I'm, I'm selling their biggest asset. So I want to make sure they know I can do the job. The fact that I can do the job and I'm, I'm not, you know, you mentioned before, I don't want to be the dickhead of the industry. Um, that's something that I want them walking away with. Like, hey, he's actually a good guy, but he's a gun. He's going to do the job. So, Taylor, are there other rituals that you've got? Which So you've talked about one there. Anything else? Non-negotiables? Yeah. I think a big thing is calling all the inquiries. Um, a lot of agents, um, you know, you go through it, you you get all of a sudden you get a few listings and then all of a sudden the buyer inquiries seem like it's this hindrance on your existence. One big thing that I did when I first started was I'd call through every single buyer inquiry. You know, it wouldn't matter if it was a unit, wouldn't matter if it was a $1.2 million house or, and everything in between. I'd always ask the question, you know, after talking to the buyer about their needs, and look, out of curiosity, if I found you a property that was suitable, what are you going to do with your current one? Wouldn't matter if they were a tenant. If they were a tenant, I'd say, great. So you're ready to jump on the next property that comes up that suits your needs. Great. No problems. There's no disadvantage in empowering a tenant. You know, I've had a lot of tenants that come back to me now that are looking to sell because I treated them like a human being. Um, so that's a big one. Buyer inquiries because you never know where it's going to lead to. And for my business, that was probably 15% of my business last year, picking up stuff through inquiries. Okay. that's that, And that's really interesting because, Taylor, it's weird because in the world of training, we're all told, go find the seller. Mm -hmm. But we're never really told, go find the seller through the buyer because the buyer is the easiest person to actually speak to. Correct. They're there. I mean, there's hundreds of them. Yep. Um, but I just think that, I don't know, Taylor, I think we think to ourselves that it's, it's a low probability or it's going to take too long or it's not going to lead to anything. Um, um, or it's going to be a waste of time because they're not going to buy anything. But you just felt like, hey, buyer inquiry, pick up the phone, ring them up. Don't necessarily just rely on sending an email from realestate.com response. Beautiful. Anything else, Taylor? Um, I think I think other than that, like I'm a big believer in if you're in a local marketplace, you're targeting an area, be seen. 
uh, the, the area that I chose, you know, before real estate, I used to work at a local pool uh, in Stanhope Gardens, lifeguarding, being a manager there. I knew a lot of people in Stanhope Gardens, but also the shopping centre across the street. Between the shopping centre, people that work there and people I used to work with, I've sold 12, home, 12 homes in the last 18 months just to people that I knew from those connections. And of almost every single one of those, I found another seller off the back of it. So for me, still going back to the pools, hey, guys, how are you? It's almost like they look at you like, oh, my gosh, you're the one that got out. Uh, but in the same sense, there's that respect that I'm doing something, you know, uh, to further myself. And and people sort of latch onto that success when they see it on social media and stuff, which I've only just started really tapping into. But walking through the shopping centre, if I'm going to get a coffee at Gloria Jeans, I park at the other end of the shopping centre so I can walk the whole way through. I'll meet agents. I'll meet clients that I've sold for, clients I've sold to, uh, people who own shops up there, have a general chit-chat. A five-minute coffee will take half an hour, but it's a form of prospecting. Like I get to have fun, talk to people, and long-term that compounds and produces, you know, a a great source of um, leads. Mate, I want to ask you, in this marketplace, you got to get you got to get prices to meet what buyers are prepared to pay. What are some of the things that you're doing at the moment to get runaway lottery chasing vendors to accept the reality of the market? I think I think like when I used to sit in front of a presentation, I, I used to never want to leave unless I got the listing. Um, I go into presentations now. Obviously, you know I want the listing, um, but seeing the market transition at the moment. I definitely assess a lot more questions leading into the appointment to assess their motivation. End of the day, if they're motivated, they won't always tell you. Uh, if they're you know, high on price, sometimes they won't even tell you. They want to price out of you first. For me, I'll go through obviously recent sales and stuff like that just to sort of get a gauge and ask certain questions to see where are they sort of sitting. But if they're motivated, they're within 5 to 10% of where I think it's going to sell. I'll still give it a crack as long as there's somebody who think logically. And when I look at stats and things, they understand it. If not, I'm prepared to walk away um, or I'll go in at a really high fee because then at least if I get the business and the job gets done, you get rewarded for it because taking on everything isn't the solution in this market. Um, a lot of what I sell is expired listings of other agents. Um, I did two of those sales in the last 30 days in Stanhope Gardens and they were people who took it on unrealistic by the time they got them realistic, I was able to capture it, turn it over, sell it in a week. Owner loves me, already referred me to two of his friends on the street. So that's that's probably the biggest thing. So some properties in this market, Taylor, being the first agent is not as good as being the second agent, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think being, being okay with missing business that, that, like I talk about warming up owners, sometimes you need an owner to be warmed up by somebody else before the ball's passed back to you. And I think that comes from just being prepared, going, well, you know what? If I take on an unrealistic owner, they're going to take three or four owners worth of my energy and time, and there's nothing that's going to come out of it. One thing that a lot of the training Ray White um, through the Pathways program taught me was the fact that you've got to look at what you're doing as a business. Everything has a cost. Everything you know, has a certain amount of time that it takes out of you and your team. As soon as I put a dollar value to it, I realized the things that people should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And taking on really unrealistic people is one of those things. You just, you've got to be prepared to walk away. And I know it's really hard. You get in there and you smell blood in the water and you're like, okay, I'm going to close this. But you could spend 20, 30 hours of your time on that one person. Whereas if you spent that calling buyer inquiries or even letterbox shopping or something, you're more likely to find somebody off that than you are of taking on that unrealistic person that, you know, and then it doesn't sell. So you look like an idiot, but. Yeah, yeah. 
I want to ask you, you list the property now. What happens in the first seven days after you've signed it up? Just explain what happens. Yeah, so I'm noticing, again, probably 12 months ago, everything that I was listing, it would come on the market straight away. At the moment, I'm trying to list things that are coming on the market in two, three, four weeks because they used to just say, oh, we'll get you back in a couple of weeks. Now I'll sign it up on the spot, but I go through my process of why it's a benefit to them. Um, I think at the moment, I'm finding that going through the process with them after they list, that's just getting the commitment from them. Then it's usually organizing a couple of tradespeople to come and quote or a stylist. After that, that's when I'll come back or I'll have a phone call or a video call has been really successful for me because they can see you face-to-face. I'll talk about, okay, guys, here's the next steps. Obviously, photos are being done on this day. We're going to be launching to the market this day. This is what I expect the market to respond like. And that's where I'll go through things like, I expect this many people at the open home. I never used to put a number on it because I was afraid, oh, but what if that many people doesn't come? I used to think if I say 15 and five come, I look like an idiot. Whereas now I look at it and go, okay, guys, based on something similar that I've just sold, I expect probably 15 groups to come through. Out of that, we'll probably get three to four half-decent offers that we're going to be able to work with. If we don't see that, then after that first seven days, this is what the plan is. So I tell them that after they've launched, but they know exactly what the process is because I need to make sure that they're not going to sit on the market two, three, four weeks before I have that conversation. And it's a lot easier if you pre-frame them. So Taylor, that's gold because what you're doing is you're getting rid of any bad surprises. People hate bad surprises. And you're sort of saying to them, this is what happens next. This is what happens next. And there's a plan B and there's a plan C. Along the way, there's constant plans. So you don't feel guilty if you've said, we expect 15, only five come. I mean, in many ways, that's vendor management in itself because people are not seeing value. Mm-hmm. in actually attending. Yep. Um, and Taylor, how do, you, how do you stay in contact with so many? Like to do 100 deals, yep. you've got to stay in contact with a lot of vendors. What's your, like, how do you stay in contact? Do you just ring every, how often? So I use WhatsApp quite a lot. Um, so I try to mix it up every week. They're going to get a handful of phone calls. They'll get a lot of text messages. Uh, through WhatsApp, because that way I can have both owners in it. People could be on Android, people can be on iPhones. It gets really confusing. So uh, I found WhatsApp in my marketplace, 90-odd percent of them are in in, in WhatsApp. So it makes it really easy. So each Monday, for example, uh, Amanda will send them through like a stat report on whatrealestate.com, how our traction is, uh, and that feeds them something in the morning because obviously I may not have a big update for them Monday morning. But if they get that 9, 10 o'clock, they see that. And then Amanda says, Taylor's going to give you an update throughout the day. All of a sudden, they're stewing on that going, oh, that doesn't look good. Oh, this looks good, but we're not sold. Like, what's the reason? And I leverage that to then get the next step of what I need to happen. Um, So that's a big thing. Um, But yeah, messages, audio messages. I want them to hear the emotion in my voice. If I think there's a problem, I'm going to go, guys, hey, I know you're out at dinner. I just wanted to send you a quick message. Out of the 16 groups, two took contracts, nobody's offering. I'm concerned. Give me a call in the morning. I'd love to discuss a plan moving forward because I've got a great idea. Not sure if it's going to be quite right for you guys, but I think it'll get us the result we need. And they go to bed stewing on that. They're thinking about it. They wake up, they call me. They already go, Taylor, do you reckon we need to adjust the price? And I'll go, look, that's one aspect, but we need to do things in combination. We should also do new front shot, a new photo for the main, whatever it may be. Like I'm planting that in their mind so that they know, okay, the next step, this is what we need to do, and they're comfortable with it. I, what I like, Taylor, is you're telling them the problem, 
but you're not sitting there and saying, shit, we're stuck. You're sort of saying, hey, here's the problem, and I am worried. Yep. But I also want to let you know, here's my recommended solution. And I think that's what people want. Whether you're a patient to a doctor or whether you're you know, a company that's hired a, a consultant or whether you're a real estate vendor, you, you, you don't only want to be told, hey, there's an election on and interest rates are rising and you know holidays are on and the market's turning because the media is saying it's overpriced. What you're saying is we know that. But in addition to that, I want to let you know, uh, these are the things that we're going to do. Um, and yeah, listen, I just want to ask you, like Taylor, in your mind, if you had to define, describe what success means to you in real estate, what is it? Um, success in real estate. Well, I think real estate, it's it's not just a job. It is a lifestyle, as cliche as it sounds. Um, I think for me, seeing success, I think because I'm in a team, um, you know, I'm big on team goals, not just professionally, but also personally. Um, this year, I've already sat down with Amanda, sat down with Nathan. They both have goals to buy their own home by the end of the year. I sat down, we crunched numbers, we worked out how much do you need to have saved, how much do you need to, you know, be able to borrow, et cetera, et cetera. I had that advice so that we don't get to the end of the year and they go, oh, wow, that was an un unrealistic goal. It didn't work out. That's one part of it because if I'm with a team that sees a bigger picture than just work, I know when I come into the office and I'm pumped about I'm having a kid, that's awesome, I'm excited. I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm putting the systems in place now so that when that happens, I'm not just that agent that fizzles down I'm going to be able to maintain that because I employ the people to do the jobs that I'm not good at or that I'm not as effective at. Um, you know, success for me, like doing 100 sales, the idea of doing less than 100 sales now, it, it scares me. I'm like, well, I don't want to go down. I only want to go up. Um, I'm not here to take over the world, but I'd love to maintain the same numbers. If I can increase it, fantastic. This year is going to be an adjustment. I'm about to have a kid. That's the reality of it. And that's that's important. I need to be there for my wife. I want to be there for my wife. So for me, making sure that my team is, is happy, which again, being successful professionally, personally, that adds to that. Um, I want them to make sure that they know they're valued. They're well incentivized as well, because I don't want them feeling like, oh, you know, I'm doing all this, but I'm not getting ahead in life. You know, oh, you're earning all the money. I want them to know that, it, guess what? It doesn't matter what you're earning. It's about what's left over at the end and what you do with it. It can make a huge difference. Um, you know, th there's that. But I think just sustainably doing solid numbers is part of that success because I don't want to go from 100 to 50. If I can do 100 but also do things personally with development and stuff like that, that's what I'd love to do because I don't just look at that as earning extra money. That's time of my life that I'm going to get back later on with my family. At the moment, there's going to be one kid. Chances are there'll be two, or if my wife has her way, it'll be three. You know, like these are things that I want to do now so that I can reap the rewards later because too many people, I'm 30, too many people in their 20s, they'll go buy the flashy watch that they can't afford. They'll go buy the Mercedes AMG that they can't afford. I wrote 1.7 driving a freaking Mazda because you earn it first, then you then you do something else. Don't go, well, I'm going to get a really nice car then, then I'm gonna I'm gonna put the runs on the board. No, you're an idiot. It's called do the work, make the savings, make the sacrifices. So then, when you do it, you can do it three times, and you don't even blink. That's that to me is success. If you can do that, happy days. Taylor, you remind me. A few months ago, I was lining up to do a COVID test. I'll tell you the story, <laughs> like everyone was. Summer Hill, and I'm waiting for about half an hour, and I become impatient, Taylor because the, the queue's big, 
So I leave the line because I saw all these other cars coming from another direction. I thought, there's another line there. Mm. So I left the line and I went there and then I realised these cars weren't actually in a COVID line. And I get to my car near the COVID clinic and I said to the guy, mate, I was in that line, right? And I said, I saw these cars. He goes, well, why would you leave the line for? I said, I left the line because I thought that would be a shortcut to get there. And he just said, matey, get in line, stay in line. And I reckon there's a big learning there, Taylor. I think a lot of times people don't get in line and stay in line. They they get in line and they become impatient and um, they think to themselves, there's got to be another way of me doing it. Um, and what you're sort of saying is do the work, pay the price, get the reward in that order. Um, mate, it's so refreshing, so refreshing talking to you. Um, if I turned around and said to you, do like – out of curiosity, what's it like working? You're in a, a pretty small office there, you know. Yeah. It's going to be bigger soon. Mm-hmm. What's it like working with Tesla in there? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people when I when I made the move, they they had these concerns that you know they're like, oh, what's it going to be like? Young guy running his own business. Before I made the jump, and I remember this vividly, and this was when I had my conversation with my old director when I resigned. I looked at it, and the question was, what can you learn from him? And I thought about it, and I go. Well, he back then was 25. He's 25. I think back then he was writing like 4 million bucks in fees. He was doing more than quadruple the numbers, quadruple the sales. But I knew for a fact he could not work quadruple as hard. He couldn't work quadruple as long. It's physically impossible. There's only a certain amount of hours in the day. And being on the other side now and seeing what he does in person, people always say, oh, man, he's crazy. How does he do it? He puts in the work. He's up. He's messaging me at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. I'm asleep with my puppy at the end of my bed and I'm getting messages with ideas. Hey, bro, you're on You're on these many sales for the month. Let's keep pushing. Let's get to this. I think being with Josh, when you have a leader that's leading by example, it's a lot easier to be inspired and to motivate yourself. Um, and for me, the good thing is I sold 100 last year. In any office, I would be typically, I would be towards the top, if not the top agent in the office. And with that, I think a lot of people get an ego. Being in Josh's office, I look at it and I go, man, this is still such a huge mountain to climb. I've got a long way to go. And just sitting in the same room, you pick up bits of dialogue, you pick up things that are said. The whole team, when when Luke gets a win, when Nathan gets a win, when Mark, Alex, you know, uh, Luca, anybody in the team, when anybody gets a win, a small office pays off in that respect because it, you just this constantly charged up. Like I'm energetic compared compared to Josh, I'm not. But all my friends would say I'm like a hamster, uh, you know, with you know AAA batteries in me or something because I'm crazy. But in comparison, I'm a very subdued Josh Teslin. So I don't know if I'm a, I don't know if I'm quite that stunt double you spoke about at the start. But you know, if I can do half of what he's doing, you know, that's a that's going to set up my family, and um, you know, and I'm going to be very content with that. Okay, guys and girls, so it's official. Taylor is not the Teslin stunt double. <laughs> Taylor is Taylor Breton. You've seen it here tonight. On the uh, Monday night rant, I want to repeat everyone, 1.7 million GCI, 100 sales, 30 years of age, expecting a baby boy in the next few months. Um, Leftover, not just turnover, is one of his philosophies, building and planning an escape to having a great financial security in life. And so refreshing, has done it all in a Mazda CX-5. Guys and girls, signing off. Thanks a lot, Taylor. 
Thanks, guys. Cheers.